chapter 3 and verse 10. This is the month of love. Guys, I hope you've got the heads up. This is the week. February 14th is coming our way. And I hope you don't blow it like one fellow that I heard of this week. His wife said, I'd like something shiny and red and goes from 0 to 180 in less than three seconds. She was thinking sports car. He got her a bathroom scale. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. If you're visiting with us, we're finishing up the last of a three-part series that I'm simply calling Life. And I'm curious how many of you, when you saw this slide for the first time two weeks ago, guessed that it was the logo from Life magazine. Oh, a lot of you did. Some of you are thinking, what in the world is Life magazine? <laughs> Even if you don't know what it is. If the logo grabbed your interest at all, then you understand why Henry Lucy was motivated to buy the magazine in 1936 just to acquire that logo. Lucy had an idea for a magazine that he would test the validity of the old axiom, a picture is worth, finish it with me, a thousand words. And so he purchased Life magazine, and he relaunched Life magazine as the first all-photographic publication in weekly magazine. For over 40 years, Life magazine dominated the market through breathtaking pictures covering all aspects of our lives, covering what was happening in the world of science, covering what was happening in the world of... I must have put this sermon in the wrong place. Yes, Covering the world of science, covering the world of entertainment, remember those guys? Covering the world of politics, sad time in our nation's history, and covering the world of sports, a momentous time in our nation's history. Now, the problem with Life magazine, although I loved it. I mean, my grandmother always had the latest copy somewhere in Grandpa's den, all right? And I would devour it, although it was a great photographic masterpiece. Still, it was about life that had been. It was about life that was already past. It was about life that was history. Those pictures did nothing at all to help me live my life in the present. And that is what I love about the journalism that we have been examining over the last couple of weeks in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. In this little piece of journalism, which just so happens to be in the most best-selling journalism book ever, God does point us to things that help us in our life now. Let me ask the question again. Are you living? If not, you need to get a life. And God says, I'd like to point you to what that would look like. And he does so in this great chapter in Second, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Let's see if I can operate this thing like it's supposed to work. There we go. Here's where it would start. Listen to how this begins. Whoever would love life and see good days, he must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
I'd like to ask you to bow your heads now. Let's pray over this. Father, we, we know we cannot create life. We can birth life, half of us, but we can't create it. Only you can. And so we come to you, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and we beg you this morning, help us get a life. Help us get it, to really get life. This year, 2013, in a way that maybe we have never gotten a hold of it before. We love you. And we need help. We realize we're not the only ones this morning who are crying out to you for that. Father, we join Impact Church this morning in asking you to bless them in the preaching of the word and in the taking of the Lord's Supper and the sharing and powerful songs of praise to you. Father, together we as your disciples in this world want so very much for people to see in us life. And so we ask you humbly, but we ask you boldly, please bring it. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. I don't know if you thought about it this week, but let me just say this. God loves you. He so loves you. And there is nothing you have to do to earn that love. There is nothing that you have to do to qualify for that love. There's nothing that you have to do that will manipulate that love out of you. You don't have to because God's love for you is totally unconditional. However, Scripture is very clear about this. While God's love for you is unconditional, His life for you is absolutely conditional. God's life for you hinges on you participating, on you playing a part, on you contributing your mind and your heart and soul to following Him. Peter says, if you want to see great days and have a great life, it matters what you say, it matters what you do, and this morning we want to look at this. It matters what you pursue. Of all the lessons that I've put together from this text, this is the one that I think is the hardest for me to get a handle on because, yeah, not because I can't define it. I just don't live it very well. Peace defined is the absence of guilt. Peace defined is the absence of fear or stress or worry. Peace defined is the presence of contentment and a rightness with God above me and the world that's around me. In a word, the Hebrews would say, shalom. Which is all of that in one word coming together meaning wholeness. I can define it. Peace is something that I would like to have more of in my life, but it never dawned on me. I'm being honest. Never dawned on me till I saw this text a few months ago. And God said, if you want to have great days in a great life, peace is something that you have to seek and pursue. Peace is not just a byproduct of my choices, but a priority of my choices. Peace is not just serendipitous to my life. It has to be a focal point of my life. Now, of all the people that I hope get this this morning are those of you here who are under the age of 30. If you're under the age of 30, please raise your hand. I want to see exactly where you're at. All over the place. Yay, God. Look at how many under 30s we have, church. That's a good thing. Listen to me. You under 30. Some of us over 30, it may be too late for us. But you under 30, listen up. Because you're going to have a lot of folks who are going to say, this is what's key to living a great life in the world. And people are going to talk to you about handling your money wisely and how to set goals and achieve them. 
and the importance of attitude and all those things are great. All those things are hugely significant and important and they're essential. But they're not quite as foundational as those three principles as we put up on the board a few moments ago. That it matters what you say. It matters what you do. And it matters what you pursue. If you're here this morning and you're just kicking some tires with this Christianity thing. Just investigating if some of the claims that we make are valid. Can I just tell you that regardless of the pitiful examples that some of us have been. Don't think that a stressed out. Harried life. Constantly frustrated. Never having enough life. Is life. It may be the American way, but it is not God's way. It's not. You can experience what what the Bible calls peace. Shalom. A life without guilt. A life free from stress and anxiety and worry. A life of wholeness. You can experience that. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word, though. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and stressed out and haggard and frustrated, and I will give you, say it with me, church, rest, shalom, peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find, say it again, rest for your souls with me. I'm telling you, there is peace in Christ. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, Jesus says not only is it a possibility, it's an expectation of what you'll find in the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. A matter of rules and regulations is really what he's talking about there. But a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. In John 16 and verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles of all kinds. But please don't lose heart. I've overcome the world. And you say, well, Jimmy, how in the world can anybody make that kind of an offer? Well, Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, because he is the prince of peace. Even better, he's not just the prince of peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, he's our peace. That those who wear his name and follow in his ways can not only observe it or admire peace from afar, we can absolutely wallow in it. So much so that he would... He would say in Romans 14, 17, it's an expectation. You can look for this when you are following behind or looking in on those who are followers of Christ. Now, I'm going to be the first to confess this morning. I've been a pitiful example at times. A lot of the time, right before I'm asked to come up here and preach, so don't even look at me then, all right? I'm trying to learn to do that in a more peaceful way, but it's still very hard for me. But that's not just the only time that my life has looked harried and frazzled and just running on empty crazy. I haven't made a very good testimony. How about you? 
of the fact that peace can be found in those who follow the Prince of Peace. But it's still a truth. And listen to me, church. This truth will set you free. I promise you. Too often in my own life, I've not experienced the peace of Christ because I've not been seeking him or in pursuit of him. If you remember the words of 1 Peter a while ago. Welcome him, yes. Have him present in my life, yes. But I have not made him a priority and I certainly haven't made him a passion at times. And listen to me, God will not accept that. Number one, he expects us to make him a priority. <laughs> well, he is the creator. He is kind of God, you know. The one who made universes, galaxies, human beings. Does not accept just being in my life. He wants to rule and be Lord of, be king of my life. Seek is priority language. We know that from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And all of the rest of life will take care of itself. Seek first His reign, His rule. In your life. Allow him to call the shots. You decide right up front. He makes a better sovereign than I do. And you allow him to be the sovereign of all of your choices. And the rest of it will take care of itself. Jesus says. God makes it clear. He will not settle for anything less. Than the ultimate place in your life. He wants to sit on the throne of your heart. And there's no thrones in this world. Who are, that, are, that are pews. They are solitary seats. And he wants it. Himself. But you know, that's no new revelation. It's just not. The very first commandment is this have no other gods before me. Isn't that right? It started way back. You know the story. Israelites had been in, in, in bondage and in slavery for hundreds of years, and all of a sudden there's this burning bush moment in the life of a man named Moses. He taps him on the shoulder and says, You're leaving my people out finally. And so he does. He goes into Egypt and right into Pharaoh and, and through miracles and, and just wonders and plagues. Finally, he lets his people go. Pharaoh says, get out of here. And they're right on the verge of the promised land. Right on the verge of, for the first time in their own life, making their own choices. Remember, they were slaves. They were told when to work. They were told what they could eat. They had no free time. It was Pharaoh's time. They did not live with many choices in the world. And so finally they break free from that and they're right on the verge of the promised land. And God says, wait a minute, let me make a few suggestions here. Actually, no, he called them commandments. And the first one was this, commandment number one. Remember, you didn't get here because of your prowess, my power. I led you out of Egypt. We start there. So... Have no other gods before me. As you move into this land that has many gods. Commandment number one. Rule number one for enjoying life to the full. In this land of freedom. Remember, I led you out. Me. And have no other gods before me. Now he had to make it a commandment because he knew if he said suggestion we wouldn't have obeyed him. Right? Right? And this is my story. Isn't it yours, brother or sister in Christ? I didn't get free in Christ because of my own prowess. I got free in Christ because of the power that's in the blood. Not, not, not blood from a lamb or a goat sprinkled over a doorpost, but blood that was sprinkled over a cross for my sins. 
And the power of God led me to freedom through my own Red Sea. Through my own baptism in water. And He brought me right up to the brink of a promised land, a promised life, and said, listen to me. If you want to live, if you want to have life in here amongst all these other gods in this world, put me first. Make me a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the reign of God, the rule of God in your life, and all else will just take care of itself. This is my story. He wants to be a priority, but he wants more than that. He wants to be a passion. And I get that. There's a lot of things in my life that are priorities, but they're not passions. I brushed my teeth this morning. That's a priority, not a passion. I will most likely change the oil in one of my vehicles this month. That's a priority, not a passion. I have to pay my taxes by April 15th. That's a priority. It is not a passion. God wants to be a passion, not just a priority. He doesn't just want to be an object of holy fear. He doesn't just want to be a resource that you turn to like some all-powerful genie. He wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And I get that. All of us understand in this life what it means to be passionate about something. All of us in this world know what it's like to be passionate about a scholarship, or a girl, or a championship, or a career advancement, or a new car, or a new house. We can't wait to get that in our lives. And God says, that, that right there, that's what I want from you. That kind of passionate pursuit is what I want from you. Not just, okay, God's number one in my life. I don't really like that, but He is. I mean, He is God. He could squash me. No. He wants to be a passion. And God brought that home to me in a very significant way in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Promise Keepers Conference for Pastors. A lot of you probably attended a Promise Keeper event. This one was pretty significant for me. I, too, went to a couple of those stadiums as just a Promise Keeper. But it was pretty powerful to me that my Promise Keeper group put together enough funds to send me to the Pastors Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And 14 other ministers from our community who had been loving on each other and encouraging one another just to be the body of Christ there. We all went together. And it changed our ministries. But it also changed our lives. There are probably none more than me. This was the site of the second largest gathering of ministers in the world. Some say the largest. And it changed me. The most meaningful of speakers amidst this who's who of speakers was a man by the name of Jack Hayford. Don't know if that rings a bell with any of you. I've never heard of him before. But I'll never forget him. He spoke on David and why David became the man after God's own heart. It's because he was after God's own heart, he showed us. He was passionate about God's own heart. We could see it through the songs that he sung to him. Those that the God of heaven and earth chose to to say for us to read about in a book called the Psalms. 
He showed us through the life of David that someone who is in a high place can make huge, huge moral failure mistakes. And still God would would love him and never let go of him. Why? Because he loved him. David loved him. He was passionate about him. And he was passionate about pointing others to him. And after Jack did a masterful job of just showing us that, he got real pointed. He said the reason why so many of our churches are lifeless and passionless is because our church leaders are lifeless and passionless. Especially those of us who are preaching to it. He said, all of you in here who speak for God are passionate about something. But the question remains, are you passionate about him? And then he went on to quote Brendan Manning. He said, I think sometimes we preachers are travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never been. Especially when it comes to calling our people to passion about God. What are you passionate about, he asked us. Would you please, preachers, redirect that to God? If you would, not only would you live, but your churches would come alive. I'll never forget those words. Because they just went right into my heart. Jack finished talking, but then God started. Specifically with me. Not in a verbal voice, but as clear a thought as I maybe have had in my entire life. And I heard this. Jimmy... Will you hunt me? Those words were spoken in a language that I got. Oh, I knew how to be passionate about elk. I knew how to pursue a deer and a mountain lion and a bear with my bow and arrow. I knew what it meant to be passionate about something. And so God used those words to speak to me and say, Jimmy, would you hunt me? And would you hunt your family? And I said, yes, I will. And I don't really remember what happened next. I just remember not being in my seat anymore. And being on my knees, just sobbing. Just sobbing. And those 14 brothers came around me. And I don't remember what they prayed. I just know I felt hands all over me. Just lifting me up. They didn't know what was going on. They just knew that God was going on. And so they prayed over me. And I've never been the same. Never. Peace came over me that day. And peace has stayed with me and lives in me. Except for those times when I forget to hunt him. And I hunt other things. And I do sometimes. Sometimes I get tempted to answer the allure of other gods in this world. And my life is the less for it, especially in the peace category. There is a peace that the gods of this other world offer. And you know what? It's real. It's usually very momentary, but it's real. Every one of you in here have experienced the peace of getting that scholarship. Of getting the car, moving into the house, and finally getting all the boxes unpacked. Coach, am I right? Are you there yet? Almost. No, well, we're getting there. There will be peace, but it will be momentary. Because then there will be yards to mow, and then there will be new 
pictures to hang and houses to paint and the carpet won't look good because the, the paint has made it look funky and it just goes on and on. That's the, that's the nature of the gods of this world. They never allow you to be at peace long because it's just so shallow. It's so momentary and it's usually so me-centered. It's not a very substantive peace. In Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, don't you dare follow after Don't you dare seek after. Don't you dare pursue after the peace of the world because it will not satisfy. You say, all right, Jimmy, you've convinced me. How in the world do I get a hold of some of this? I'd like to have shalom, wholeness. I'd love to have just maybe a couple of hours without stress and anxiety and worry dominating my life. Here's what you do. You get real. That's where you got to start. You got to ask yourself, starting right now, is he really a priority and a passion in your life? We're going to sing a song in about seven minutes. It says, As a deer pants for the water, my soul pants, longs after you. Really? <laughs> really? 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 15 says, It's always a good thing for Christians to examine themselves to see whether they're holding really to their faith. Test yourselves, Paul says. So now, what does that involve? Well, let me, let me share a test that I do with myself. I call it the M&M test, and you'll understand why. What dominates your mind? The things that you think about. What dominates your speech, what comes out of your mouth most often when you have some time to speak. Look in your checkbook. Where, where is the significant amount of your money going? What about the minutes? When you don't have time that's designated to have to be a certain place at a certain time, what do you do with that? And then what about... Your month. What do you schedule? What do you make sure stays on the calendar and the rest of life has to revolve around it? Can you see why I call it the M&M test? It ain't candy, folks. You take the time in your life to stop and you go through your mind and mouth and money and minutes and months to see really where your passion lies and really where your priority lies. And you're going to get real. And I hope you'll do it. God already knows what's your priority and He already knows what's your passion, but you need to know it. Because there's two people you cannot fake out in this world about priority and passion. God and mothers. They know everything. I was reminded this week through John. He invited his mother over for dinner and during the meal his mom couldn't help but noticing how beautiful Julie was, his roommate. She had long been suspicious of this relationship between John and Julie thinking that there was probably more than met the eye, but that was really confirmed by watching how they kind of played slap and tickle all night long. When reading his mother's thoughts, John volunteered, I know what you must be thinking, Mom, but I assure you, Julie and I are just roommates. Well, about a week later, Julie came to John and said, Ever since your mother left from dinner, I can't find that beautiful silver gravy ladle that my mom gave me. She says, You don't suppose she took it, do you? And John says, No, but I'll email her and ask. Dear Mommy writes in the email, I'm not saying that you took our gravy ladle from the house, and I'm not saying you didn't take our gravy ladle. 
But the fact remains that one has been missing ever since you left from dinner. Two minutes later, she got an e- he got an email back. Dear son, I'm not saying you're having sex with Julie. And I'm not saying you're having sex with Julie. But the fact remains, if she was sleeping in her own bed, you would have found the silver gravy ladled by now. <laughs> Moms know. And God knows. You can't fake him out, so quit trying. Live. Get you some life. It starts by getting real. And it starts by getting lighter. Getting lighter. God wired me to be a seeker on this journey called life. In this race called life. And I promise you, you will not be able to run this race very well with all the stuff this world will allow you to put on you. I'm a track junkie. My two daughters ran track, and so I fell in love with it. I didn't run track. I despise running. But I love watching other people do it. And so I watched watch my girls do it all over the state of New Mexico. And one thing I learned about runners is they are minimalistic in mindset when it comes to the things that they carry on them while they run. Less is more in the track world. The same thing is true in the spiritual world. You cannot run after God, pursuing him with a bunch of stuff in your life. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, there are two things there that would hinder you as a great runner in God's race of life. Just some stuff that hinders. Not bad things, good things. Baseball games, baseball camps, tennis matches, tennis camps. Video games, yard work, television, track meets. All of those things are good things. But when our lives become so full <laughs> that we actually say with our lives, God, I don't have time for you. Really? For the creator of the universe? For God Almighty? For the one who led you out of slavery and into freedom? The one who created you and sustains you and has prepared an eternal life for you. You don't have time for him. Hello. Just stuff that hinders. And then there's the stuff that entangles the sin. The stuff that I say yes to that just gets all over me and I can't get out of it. The addictions and the behaviors that just seem to own me. I don't own them any longer. They own me. God says, get it off. So you can run. You can run. Not just barely creep along and call yourself a Christian. If you're going to do that, don't wear my name and do it. Go do something else. Just get you a big old spoonful of it. Because you're a pitiful testimony. He is the Prince of Peace. How are we doing, church, and living in that? Come on, if we're going to do better, we're going to have to get real. We're going to have to get lighter. And then lastly, we're going to have to get connected. (laughs) My wife will not settle for being a priority in my life. 
she would like to be, and she is. At 8.15, my phone will buzz and says, remember to pray for your wife. That's a priority. If you called my cell phone, you're going to get this message. If it's after 5.30, I'm hanging out with Gail. I probably won't call you back. That's a priority. Some boundaries that I've set in my life, some things that I've set up for my life to remember that my wife is a priority, but she doesn't want to stop. She wants me to, she wants me to be passionate about her. She wants me to see her. Not just be gentlemanly. She wants me to see her. See her. To find her in a crowd. To call her when I've got other things on my mind during the day. Just to tell her that I love her. To take her dancing. To call her up and say, it's adventure day. Pack a lunch. We're going. She wants, she wants me to be passionate about her. God does too. That means it takes time. He wants... Scripture says to hear from you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Interesting. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see the connection? He loves it when you want to be connected with Him and to share your heart and what's going on in your life with Him, to be grateful for what He's doing in your life. But he doesn't only want to hear from you. He'd like for you to listen to him. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful letting the words of Christ dwell in you richly. He's got some things he'd like to say. Are you interested in listening? That's connection. That's passion. Connecting is not a secret. But it often involves a sacrifice. Wouldn't you want to do that for the creator of life? Especially when you're not living. One last time. Get a life. Get you some. Don't just settle. Don't just muddle through 2013. Come on. Take this week to get real. Do the M&M test. Take this week to get lighter, get some stuff off of you. Take this week to get connected. Talk to him, listen to him. He'd love for you to spend some time with him. I know the old axiom says, a picture is worth a thousand words. New axiom, I think a life fully lived is worth a million. What do you say we live? Father in heaven, we come to you The author of life. And some of us come this morning confessing we haven't lived much. We've existed some. We've been frustrated a lot. To be honest, we've been miserable. We realize because we really haven't gotten a handle on our tongue. We haven't. We've heard what you had to say about its significance, but it still hadn't connected that it matters what we say. Father, we realize we're our worst enemy. We're the ones making choices. You have 
provided and provided and provided, and yet we, che- we keep choosing our own way. We think we make a better sovereign. Help us to believe it really does matter what we do. It matters what we choose. And then, Father, we, we do want peace. We do want peace. We want contentment. We want to know it's all right. We want our lives to be whole. And your word promises we can, we can have that. Thank you that you haven't left us alone to do this. Thank you you've given us the spirit, the, the holy presence of yourself in us to seek you and be passionate about you. Father, we're going to sing to you this morning. And if you know we can't sing this, please, Father, help us move to a brother or sister right here in this room. Help us draw a line in the sand and say, no more. No more not living. I'm going to get a life. And I'm going to get it now. Please, God, don't let us leave here the same. Help us leave here changed this morning. I ask us humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be standing, church.